I want to do more up-downs. Let's stand. Let's stand for the reading of the word. My friend Kimberly, bold and brave, is going to lead us this morning. Excited. This is from Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus." because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Amen. You can have a seat. This is the word of God. Oh, man. Uh, friends, I just got to be fully honest with you this morning. I'm struggling. Uh, I had some bad news just a little bit ago of a dear, dear friend that is now in the arms of Jesus. I just want to, you know, full disclosure for you all. I might, might be struggling a little bit. But I do want you to hear. I really believe the Lord has something to say today in that prep, but... If my energy is not, is not the biggest, please hear the words. Please hear the heart behind it. And I love and appreciate any prayers that you might have. But Lighting that joy candle. I don't feel much joy. But I do have joy in the truth that my friend is still, he's in the arms of Jesus. And there's just joy in that. If you're feeling pain, I'm with you right now. I hope you have hope in that. All right. All right. Let's just pray real quick. Lord Jesus, God, just, we need you in this place. I need you right now. I need you. God, my words, God, my heart, Lord, just to speak your word today. Let what you put in my heart this week, Lord, be presented and well, but most importantly, that touch the hearts and transform outside of what I can do, Lord, but through your Holy Spirit. I need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, all right. Well, Kimberly read that amazing story. She did a good job, didn't she? Yeah. We hear that story. Ah, there you go. We hear this story every Christmas, don't we? Churches all around the world are reading this story is the beginning of the end of the wait for this first century people waiting for the Messiah to come to save them. It is a story of hope. It is a story of hope for this Messiah that's going to come and deliver them from oppression, to bring peace into their lives. It is a story of joy in that anticipation for that hope and that peace to come. And they feel the love, 
feel the love of the Father stepping into the story. Stories are important, aren't they? Who here doesn't like a story, right? Love movies and books, plays, and even stories by the campfire, or even crazy Uncle Joe at holiday season telling some probably inappropriate stories, but we enjoy stories, don't we? It's how we communicate. They inspire us. They teach us. They give us history. They give us direction. It is really how we communicate. We are a people since forever that communicates through story. We can, archaeologists are constantly finding ancient caves with these imprinted stories of their lives. That's how we learn. It's how we grow. Stories are important. It's how we communicate. It's how we talk to each other. Uh, just think about, you know, especially any loved ones or anybody that you care about and you hadn't seen them in a little while and you're like, hey, how was your day? How are you doing? You're expecting a story. You meet somebody new, you say, tell me about your life. You're expecting a story. But we know no story better than our own, except, except, except if we invest and join in to another's story that we can model after it, we can learn from it, we can allow it to form us. I know we got we have some what Lord of the Rings fans, yeah, we've got some, yep. Yeah. I'm probably get Caroline's going to probably speak a lot with all the references I make, but Marvel fans and Harry Potter and and you know we we are just attached to these stories. I love there's so many there's there's groups and there's festivals and there's gatherings and uh, I mean the. You even being named after stories. If you're a Star Trek fan, you're a Trekkie, right? You know, it's we attach, we can dive into these stories and make them a part of us and form us. And those of us who follow Jesus, we know this very well. We read a story uh, in our scripture constantly about all the things God has done, and ultimately this person in Jesus that comes and saves us. And this is who we follow. We listen to stories, we grow in stories. But whether we follow Jesus or not, Scripture is very clear. Scripture tells us there is only one story with one protagonist, and we are subplots in that story. So uh, let's take a look at story a little bit. If you don't mind, we're going to do a little little field trip into the art of storytelling. there's an author I used to read a lot. Um, You may have heard of him. He's a best-selling author. His name is Donald Miller. Uh, wrote a few books like... uh, Scary Close, Blue Like Jazz, um, Million Miles in a Thousand Years. So he, as a best-selling author, he's also a follower of Jesus. A few, several years back, he kind of came up with this idea, read a post um, about the way an author approaches telling a story. But then he flipped it and put it in the lens of Scripture, in the full breath of the full story of God. So we're going to take a second, we're going to walk through his perspective on that, and I think it's so helpful in understanding there is this greater story that we are entangled in, and we have options to opt into the story or to opt out, but there's this greater story that is above all other stories. And so he starts off, he says, the writer charts the story scene by scene. So when they're getting ready to start a story, they will plan out the next level and scenes as they go. When we look at Scripture, uh, the Bible as a whole, we can look at it as a one whole book, um, but it's actually a series of books, 66 books in the Protestant Bible, 39 of them in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. 
but presented together, the reason why they're bonded together, they presented together tell one overarching greater story, with each book represented as a subplot to that larger story. That's why we need, when we, we study Scripture, we need to read more of the full breadth of it. I mean, I love picking an a individual Scripture and just digesting into it and just, just investigating what it's trying to say. But there's a part of it is like we, that's why I love Bible studies. I love doing Scripture in community. It's we're able to really fully bring out the context, the full breadth of the story. Number two, the author sets the roles with a clear protagonist. Don't we love that? The stories that we invest in most, we, we want to have somebody that we trust in. We want somebody that we care about the outcome of their story, what happens to them. We want a clear person who is the lead of the story. We want to know them and trust them. I love how the Bible Project describes the Bible. It says the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. It is so true. He is the protagonist of the story. In the New Testament, we see most of the characters introduced just before we see Jesus. Uh, those of you uh, that were part of the or have been doing the Advent small group would have heard this this week, that it, he, Pastor Matt called it five, uh, five minutes B.C. It's like five minutes before Christ, we're introduced to so many characters. It's because the story is about one, one person, one protagonist, one highlight, and everyone else is a beautiful subplot in that protagonist's story. The New Testament constantly points to the Old Testament stories, highlighting the connection to Jesus. We see just in the book of John alone, which John is, the whole book itself is really about the identity and mission of Jesus. And he opens up with this, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This, this descriptive connection to Genesis 1, saying that Jesus, Jesus was there in the very beginning. And he was the actual Word that made creation be. When God said, let there be light, he's connecting that to Jesus, connecting to this larger story, plus the abundance of prophecies and connections to Jesus that we see throughout Scripture. Isaiah 53 is probably one of the most standout ones where he talks about the suffering servant that is to come, this Messiah. The Psalms speak of a Messiah that's going to be rejected and despised, and we see that in Jesus' story. And maybe none more very specific, and it's something that we are talking about today, is Isaiah 7 tells of this Messiah coming to be born from a virgin. That's very specific and very unique and very out of this world. And yet, we see these connections. The story has a name, and his name is Jesus. I love how Paul in Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's one protagonist in the story, and we must realize this is an honor to be. We're characters in his story. Now, the protagonist makes us essential to the story, but don't get confused. It is not our story. It is his. Number three, uh, the character wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. That's 
like the basic principle of every good story, right? There's something that they want, and they must overcome it. The story in Scripture is also complicated and simple. Sin entered the world. God made a perfect, wonderful world. Sin entered it, broke it. And God's love is so strong. He says, I will not stand for this, but I will love my people in the midst of it, and I will make a plan to save this broken world, to fix it, fix the world he loves the most. Stop me if you've heard this before, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus was that answer, is that answer. Number four, the story is presented with the protagonist experiencing positives and negatives, right? We watch a good movie or we read a book and the the character, the protagonist is in this great space and we're like, oh, this is wonderful, but you know it's coming, the dip in the story. And you also, when we're in the dip, you're like, you're waiting. Okay, when are we going to rise again? This is not unfamiliar to God's story. And a good way a writer will build a story with a protagonist, they'll build a timeline and they'll stretch out what it looks like through that timeline. So let's take a moment, let's look at God's timeline. So God lives in harmony. We see in the very beginning, actually before time, we see God living in harmony with the Trinity, in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they said, hey, let's make something. And in that God, we see in Scripture, God creates these heavenly beings, these angels and such to be with him and worship him. But then those heavenly beings, Lucifer and many angels, rebel. Then we get that negative turn in the story. But then God, God creates this beautiful universe and this world that all we know and love and his most favorite and very good creation of humanity is formed. And believe it or not, that is a positive, y'all. We, we, we are a positive in God's timeline. It may not feel like it many times. But then the serpent comes. Here we get the dip again. The serpent comes and humanity is challenged with the trust for God and sin enters the story. Everything breaks. We go from a world that was cared for and loved and had a relationship with God and itself in a healthy way to a broken world of self-seeking survival behavior with ability to murder, to use others for personal gain, for the sake of power, pride, and self-service. We went from perfection to brokenness. That's where we are. But God has a plan, and we're going up again. And he sets into motion this promise of a Savior to come to fix everything. And then you see these series of covenants he makes with Abraham and Moses and David, making these layered promises of this fix coming, all the way down to David where in his line would be born the Messiah, the King of all kings, God himself in the flesh, here with us. And then the, you see these, this continuing scripture, these little downfalls where, where, the, uh, where the people of God either are in captivity or, and he rescues them, or he's, we see these other falls where they fall into these places of uh, rebellion and they find exile and they find captivity, and then God can, rescues them again and brings them out, this constant up and down. And then we get to the person of Jesus, where God takes humanity in the form, and this is what we celebrate this time of the year. This major upturn in the story, God fully enacting on his promises. 
And Jesus, while he's here, he ushers in the kingdom of God that we live and breathe today. The cross in itself was not a ticket to heaven, but an introduction into a heavenly way of thinking and earthly in this space that we abide and grow in today. But then again, the people reject him. And they say, we're going to take you to the cross, but God gives himself up in that space. But then, what does God do? Can't stay down long. He steps out of the tomb and into that full resurrection, being that first recreated humanity that we see in promises of our future. And he sends the Holy Spirit to continue and to grow and abide in us, to guide us and be with us. Even though humanity still struggles and we have temptations, the Holy Spirit is here working and growing. These up and downs are still working in that space. And we stand on those promises of the future new creation where everything is made right. No more tears, no more sadness. And the beauty of that recreation. God's story. I hope, I hope you hear in all that. There is one overarching story, something bigger than all of us to attach to, to grow in. This is God's story. Number five, the author sets the theme and protects it. The Bible, as we said, is a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's simply put it this way. It's, it's a love. The theme is a love so great for his creation that it's worth saving. It's redemption at all costs. I hope you caught that in that timeline. But the beauty of that is God loves us so much, he does not force any of us into it. But he does very adamantly invite us into his story in this effort to restore creation. God overcomes conflict in this world through us, through our words, through our actions, our hands and feet, if we're willing to participate. To do so, we must become something new, something outside of our brokenness, and that only comes from God. Number six, the final one here. That was a lot. The author uses these things called inciting incidences. So this is a really, so there's ups and downs in any story, but there's always that one key moment, right, where something big happens. The the protagonist has to make a big decision. There's something massive about the shift. Think Star Wars when Luke finds out Darth Vader's his father, right? He gets this, no, what? You know, the shock. The whole story is flipped on its head. The characters have a choice, a serious shift in the story that will end, end up leading to this climactic scene. Y'all remember that amazing story that Kimberly read earlier? Yeah. That's one of those inciting incidences within God's story, within that timeline. But this one's so crucial. It's when God is all the promises, is stepping into the story. It's involving not just the protagonist, but all the characters involved. And I love how both Matthew and Luke depict, we read uh, Matthew today, but Luke has a similar version story of this interaction with, we read about Joseph and his dilemma of ex- being accepted into the story. And then in Luke, we get Mary's, and, and, and Luke promises, you know, promotes Mary's story, but Matthew promotes Joseph. And we'd like to kind of look at both of these characters just for a little bit here. There are many connections. First, main story. Both authors are specifically saying, hey, Mary and Joseph, this is attached to that great story. This is not a subplot. This is the story. And let's just walk through that real quick, highlight what Matthew and Luke are trying to say. We'll we'll, we'll stay in Matthew for the sake of time. Uh, Verse 18, he says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
So this word birth that is used here in the Greek actually leans toward what would be called a history or an origin. So right off the bat, Matthew is saying this is an origin story. You must pay attention. This is also a historical story attaching to this larger story. And then verse 19, we get, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. You remember in the timeline? We talked about those laws, that those covenants that were made. One of them was the law of Moses. And the idea of this law was not to bind the people of Israel to a certain set of boundaries, but it was to make it so that, he, that God himself can abide amongst the people, that they can coexist in this space. This law was important, but just as many all humans love to do, as we all love to do, we love to lose sight of a lot of intentions that God has done. And over time, it becomes this confusing place. And we get to this first century spot where this, the law is so important within. It's an identifying peace for all Jewish people, but they miss Jesus in the midst of it. But Jesus says, I love in, in, in Matthew 5, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So again, Jesus is saying, no, 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 that law, it's my story. That is a part of it. We're still in the main story. And then verse 20, the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and calls him Joseph, son of David. Again, he is connecting, hey, Joseph, you know that lineage you come from? It generally would not always been introduced son of David, probably been son of whoever his father would have been, his direct father. But the angel of the Lord is connecting him to this story, this larger story. This is, you are not in the subplot. You are invited into this main story, that covenant David had that the Messiah would come through him, the king of all kings, the savior of the world. Imagine Joseph hearing that. Wow. It's not like Joseph would have been the only descendant who's chosen, asked to step into the story. And then none other in the same passage, we get the most direct evidence that this is the main story, the Holy Spirit. God self steps in and says, I am actively making this happen. This is a divine intervention. The author's hands is directly involved. And then just the last couple of verses there, we get it, get it straight, straight, straight on that it is part of the story. It says, you, have given, you will give him in the name Jesus. The story has a name. It's Jesus. The hero has a name. It's Jesus. And then we get what, remember in the, the idea of good storytelling? What does the hero want and what do they have to overcome to get it? We get that right here. He says, because he will save his people. That's what he wants, to save his people from their sins. So he will overcome and defeat sin. The hero has a name, the hero has a mission, and the hero will overcome. And then this direct link to this Isaiah prophecy at the very end where it says that he, he quotes uh, directly, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, God here in the flesh. This is the main story. This is the invitation to something larger, something greater. But I think let's, let's, we pull back for a second. Let's look at our other characters because that's who we can find ourselves in, right? I know that maybe we, we hear Mary and Joseph, gosh, they're just, maybe could feel in this time of year that like maybe unconnected, like, wow, Mary, especially in many other faces, just really promoting. I love that, you know, that 
that she did an amazing, amazing thing, an amazing woman. And Joseph stepping into that space as well. And maybe feel like, well, I don't connect, but no, just think about their lives for just a moment. We have two characters here that have both had plans. They had lives. This was, they didn't, they, there was no prophecy saying, you know, a Mary and a Joseph would be the parents of the Messiah. They had no anticipation for this to come. We see both in Matthew 18 and Luke 27, both describe that there's this idea of this normal life they're building. We're introduced that they are betrothed. We can look historically and contextually. Most likely, Mary would have been a very young teenager. It was very typical in a Jewish culture for uh, a woman being 12 to 14 years old to be betrothed. I know that's very young. And most likely, Joseph was a bit older, maybe late teens, early 20s. Um, even maybe he could have been a little older. Just the idea that they, they, the husband needed to be able to support a family so they had to live longer, grow a trade, get a home. So this is the idea of their, their age. They had this plan. They're like, we're going to get married. We'll probably have a family, live a pretty typical Jewish life. We don't hear their thoughts, but probably most likely this is what it would have been. They're, they're living under the oppression of Rome. So probably like, I'm going to do as much as I can, but probably stay under the radar, just like many Jewish people would have been challenges of struggles of paying taxes and, and living a hard life in the world they're in, but they're from a small town. This was their plan. This was their story that they were living. But then God invites them in. And we just read Joseph's story, but uh, I'm not going to read Mary's, but we'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll bring us up to date here. But we see in Luke, uh, if you want to read it, 28 through 33, the story of Mary being approached by an angel. You've heard this every Christmas. And says, you have been found highly favored. I see something in you that's very special. I'm inviting you in to this. And guess what? You know that prophecy, that Messiah you've been waiting for? You know that, that prophecy in Isaiah about being born of a virgin? Yeah, 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 that's you. And they both had a lot to consider. But Mary, <laughs> beautiful Mary, oh my gosh, so straight, brave and strong, doesn't hesitate. She says, I am the Lord's servant. And steps in to the main story. And Joseph, after a little coaxing from a dream, (laughs) steps into the main story. But it didn't come without consideration. I love in verse 20 in Matthew, it says, but he had considered. Joseph had considered. Wouldn't you consider? For them, in their context, the consideration would be, well, first of all, for Mary's sake, she didn't know, like, would Joseph accept me? Would he take me in? I don't even know if I can tell him. People are going to judge me. And actually, in the law in that time, if you were found to be adulterous, even though they were engaged, it's a very different culture. Uh, and betrothal was as very solid of a commitment as it would be marriage. So in the sense, Joseph, as it says in Matthew, he would have to divorce her, even though they weren't married yet. There's this process that needed to happen. There, and more than just shame coming from that, but Mary's life was, would be in jeopardy. They potentially could stone her for her adulterous, or, potent, or her accused adulterous position. Hard world to live in. But Mary, I will be your servant. Joseph, after a little consideration, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this together. Knowing that they would be taken in as outcasts in their own community, people wouldn't understand, they would judge and be shamed. They took on this story. They stepped out of theirs in that hard decision. 
They made a choice. They made a choice to embrace the story they were actually meant to live that was written by the author of life instead of exiting that story and living their own. They chose to embrace. There's something about that word, to embrace, to take on, to hold tight, to bring in. God, you invited me in. I will embrace it. I will take it on. But what about us? What are we considering? Now, we may not, you may not have any angels. I may not have any angels visiting me and inviting me in. But we do see in Scripture, again, that larger story. As Jesus is about to send to heaven at the right hand of the Father, he gives one last direction to his disciples. We call it the Great Commission. It's simple. Go to all the world, preach the gospel, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That invitation, that invitation to the good news was spread. And the whole book of Acts is this great, wonderful story of how that begins to spread to not just the Jewish people, but to the rest of the world, to each of us here today. And I don't know each one of your stories, but I think it's fairly safe if you're here today or you're listening. If not, this is the very first time you've been invited in at some point. There's been an an instance where you've had to consider, do I follow this story? Do I live after my own story? Knowing that it'll be hard, it'll be confusing for others. We follow Jesus and culture and society really wants to pull another way. Sometimes it'll feel like a lot of responsibility. Maybe we're not even sure what it means half the time. Or there's times we have to wait really long periods to understand. But this is a story that is not of our own. It's a story we have to step out of our own. And a lot of times in our prayers, we can say, God, please help me in this space, help me to do this thing. But many times, God does something different because we're part of that story. And he's taking us someplace else if we're willing to embrace it, to choose to embrace that story we were meant to live. So I ask you today, who is the story you are embracing? I think that's the beauty of Advent, where we slow down, we stop the hurry, and we get to a place where we can evaluate. So I encourage you, I know we're ending Advent very soon, next week's Christmas Eve, our fourth week of Advent, but even in this week, Maybe evaluate, Lord, what story am I living? Am I being guided and directed by my own feelings, my own desires? Or am I being guided by you? I want to join your story. Do people see your story within me? Do they know that I follow you? Just like Mary and Joseph were invited into these hard decisions, we're in this space, but I believe God is still inviting us. He's inviting this world. Sometimes it's easy to get really kind of caught up in our own little little space here in our own country and our own, own context, but around the world, God is doing amazing things, inviting some of the most unimaginable places directly. Now, I've, I'll, I'll just, for full disclosure, I've never met anybody has told the story. I just want to put this out there, but there has been, for the last decade, these multiple stories coming out of predominantly Muslim-run countries. And, and when I say this, I'm not I'm talking about our, folk, our friends, our Muslim friends that live here, that live peacefully. I'm talking about countries that will threaten anyone who believes in Jesus who follows Christianity with death. Countries where it is just not feasible, it is dangerous, it is life-threatening 
to follow Jesus, there's, there's these amazing stories of Muslim men and women dreaming about this man in white, telling them that he's the way, the truth, and the life, the Alpha and the Omega, and they don't know who this is, and they're all having this same dream. It's all throughout these countries where the gospel cannot get to, at least not safely. And again, I've never met anybody who's read this, but it's just so much out there, and I just will put that out there, disclaimer. But God is reaching into people's lives and saying, I'm still here. I'm reaching out. Now, let's come back in a little closer. I love the beauty of this perfect little community here called Love Chapel Hill. You know, even in the, we, we, our mission is to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. We say that all the time. We do ascending as they go and love Chapel Hill wherever you are with the heart of Jesus. And I love because that's, that's happening, y'all. We see it all the time in our very own community. Uh, Pastor Justin and I get emails constantly, constantly from Orange County, from the city of Chapel Hill, from social workers. They know how we love. We know we love with the heart of Jesus because they're asking, like, hey, we don't, we run out of resources. Can you help? We don't know anybody else. Can we help? And, and again, it's not saying that other churches aren't getting those. I hope they are. But that we have been told there's a reputation that we are a people that steps into that space. And y'all, they, they may not know Jesus, but they're, they're experiencing his love in this very community. I love that, that passage in John 13 where Jesus tells his very disciples, he says, they will know you follow me by the way you love each other. And I really feel that we are a living embodiment of that. And there's a little bit of a, a pat on the back, absolutely. But again, asking you to embrace it. Continue to embrace it as we go into this, even this new year. Let us continue to be that community here that people seek us out saying, hey, can you help? Because I know you're going to do the best you can. I know you love me and you care for me. Beautiful community. Let's get a little smaller. I have a good friend named Rick. I have breakfast with him every Tuesday morning. And so does Pixie. We, we have uh, our Good Times Coffee group that meets at Merritt's every Tuesday morning. And there's this beautiful man named Rick. I hope he one day is sitting in these seats. I believe he will. But he comes every Tuesday. And self, self-describing, and Rick is a great storyteller all on his own, by the way. So we hope you get a chance to sit with him. But Rick self-expresses many times. He's like, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a follower of all faiths. Yeah, I believe in the good of man. I believe in goodness. You know, Jesus is great, and I love that. And he'll say that. He's like, I don't get a lot of religion, but I get you guys. And I feel your love in this space. And it's a very personal story. And, and Rick, for a while, we always pray at the end. And he, he kind of either conveniently get up and go right before he stops and prays with us now. He's stepping into that. He's seeing the love of God. He's being invited into the story because he, because he sees the story within us. And that's the, that's the benefit. I know it's hard sometimes to walk a different path, but when we embrace the story, we're meant to live that story of, by the author of life written for us, this greater story. God uses it and speaks to us into those spaces. So good. Well, I'm going to ask our, our, our communion servers to come ready. And Caitlin, I don't know if you want to come play as well. I love this table. I love what we do here every single week. Please today, I hope you can use it in this Advent season as a reminder 
a reminder whose story we were actually a part of, who we're, whose story we're invited into, to remind ourselves of who we have surrendered to, to remind ourselves who is writing our story, to remind ourselves that Jesus is the protagonist and we need him. Dip it into the cup and come back to your seat. Just have a moment to remember that this, what we're remembering in that space is one of those inciting instances that have impacted so many. The name of Jesus, people who have died for, who have lived for, who has changed everything for, who have lost immense things for, but have gained so much joining into that story. There's the weight of that, but everyone is invited into that. You're invited to the table today and remember what he has done. Come and take.